Hello, boys and girls of Credit Union Land, and welcome to the 12th episode of the CU Inside Experience. My name is Randy Smith. I am one of the co-founders and the publisher of CUInsight.com, and it is my job on the show to have conversations with the best and the brightest from around the credit union community. I get to pick their brains and hopefully find a few nuggets that we can all learn from. My guest on today's show is Miss Tracy Kenyon. She is the president of Montana's Credit Unions, also the board chair currently of Filene and on the board of Western Cuna Management School. I'm telling you, she is everywhere. Our paths have crossed many times over the years, but I was really excited just to get that chance to have a longer conversation and get to know Tracy a little bit better. We talked about a lot on this episode, why she loves the simplicity of the credit union model and its inherent goodness, and yet also loves change. We also talked about the DE program. You can't get two of us together and not talk about that. Both of us, you know, discussed why we feel it's so transformational, whether you're new to the credit union movement or a lifelong veteran. She shared how as a leader, she helps people who may not share those same beliefs about change. Let's say change adverse and not only work through change, but thrive in that environment. There was so many great leadership nuggets in this episode. As always, we wrap it up with the rapid fire questions. I wish you could have seen the reaction on Tracy's face to the phrase. That's the way we've always done it. This was a blast. I loved getting to know Tracy better. I hope you enjoy it as well. So without further ado, I give you my conversation with Miss Tracy Kenyon. Enjoy. Tracy, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I was so looking forward to this conversation. We've we've met a lot, but it always seems like it's in passing. So I was actually looking forward to having a, a long conversation with you. So thank you for joining me today. Well, Randy, thank you so much for the opportunity. Right back at you. I can't wait to have a, a long conversation with you as well. I think it's going to be a blast. So let's just jump right into the questions from previous conversations. I know you've talked about embracing the simplicity of the credit union model and its inherent goodness. Can you uh, explain to our listeners more what you mean by that? Sure. You know, I I don't mean at all that credit unions are not complex. Credit unions are extremely complex and the products and services that we offer and the payment systems and all of that. Uh, but, But what is simple is our model, our structure. The fact that a group of people get together to pool their resources, to help each other out. You know, after 34 years, I still get emotional about it. It's it's such a cool concept. And I mean, it really is good. There's nothing bad about cooperation. There's nothing bad about people working together just to make sure that, that you know, everybody's boat rises, as they say. So that's what I mean by the simplicity. It's the simplicity of the model, not necessarily the simplicity of, of a credit union or its individual offerings. The other piece that I find really amazing and unique and exciting is the fact that real members sit in, at, at the table and they govern their credit union and they make decisions based on what's best for credit union members and not necessarily what's best for the bottom line. And I have seen that over and over and over where they will debate. I mean, this, a board will debate. They'll come together with these diverse viewpoints and debate on a what may seem like a small thing, but it really it really is big because it's impactful to members and they're being they're being responsible and responsive to their individual members needs. So that's, that's what I mean by that. I love that. Is there something that you've done over your career as a leader to like when you bring somebody new into the the Montana credit union network to educate them on the, the credit union difference? Because I mean, there is a big difference in it. I'm sure it, like gets under your skin when you hear somebody go, ah, oh, they're just like banks, you know, because <laughs> there's such a difference. Yeah, right. Oh, that, I just made a face. Yeah. You, and and they're, the, the podcast, they're not going to see my face when when I hear that we're just like banks. We're, we're so not like banks. We may offer similar products and services, um, but our structure 
is so different and and so unique. And so that's one of the things that I always want to make sure that folks understand when they come to work for Montana's credit unions is that our structure is different. And decisions are, are not based on products and services that we offer. They're not based on the geographic nature or non-geographic nature, you know, really even who we serve. It's really about the structure, the structure of credit unions being not-for-profit financial cooperatives owned by their depositors and governed by volunteer boards of directors. And that's really, I guess, if you would say that's my elevator speech, and I want to make sure that uh, my team fully understands that and embraces it. I know that you and I are both big DE supporters, and you had mentioned uh, to me previously that your entire staff will have gone through the DE program by the end of the year. So that is that's an amazing accomplishment. Why is DE so important to you personally, as well as making sure that that's something that your staff experiences as well? Well, first of all, shout out to October 1998, best class ever. (laughs) Um, So I had the opportunity to go through DE about 14 years into my credit union experience. And and it really reignited a flame for, for me about credit unions and the credit union difference. I think sometimes it's easy for us to slog through our daily grind and just, you know, we're just kind of doing it and maybe forget about what makes credit unions unique. And so I think that at the state level and at our, you know, in an individual organization level, we can certainly provide a lot of great examples about credit union difference and we can talk about it. But it, it isn't until folks, or oftentimes I should say, it isn't until they get into a group with diverse credit union lovers from across not just the country but the globe and and they get an opportunity to interact with people and one of the things in the DE experience one of the things that I love about DE is that you don't know people's titles you may know where they where they come from uh, you may know what state they're from but you don't know their titles and in fact I can't even remember it's been so long ago for me but you know, it seems like the people don't even know what organization necessarily uh, you are, you know, you work with. And so you can have literally the, our last two presidents of CUNA have gone through DE and people can not know that, you know, they could be sitting next to a member service rep, you know, from Nebraska or something. And I love that. It's, it's such an equalizer. And I think it inspires people to do wonderful things in their community and also to understand that there are a lot of really amazing activities going on and amazing commitment to the credit union ideal that the going on at the, at the national, international level that they may not have been aware. So I really send folks to, you know, and to use a phrase that we're, we're using a lot right now, but to open their eyes to credit unions and to our, again, our simple idea of people helping people. You know, I, I've told this story on the podcast before that in my class, unbeknownst to anybody in the class at two separate groups, one was a father 30 years in credit union CEO and his son, who was fairly new into the credit union system a year or two in was at another table. And the experience that they both had one is, you know, kind of opening your eyes to the credit unions, you know, to use the the marketing phrase, but the other to the CEO after 30 years, I mean, he literally broke down in tears at the end talking about how it, it was what he needed, you know, like he did just uh, the feelings of why he's been doing this for so long. So to see that it, you know, at the end, when you kind of all come together and actually figure out who everybody is, <laughs> you know, it was such a, right. like it, that one to me, it not only the, the personal effect it had on me, but to see that where it was just the two polar opposite sides of it, like just starting and, you know, having that experience and how it affected everybody. So, yeah, I'm with you. It, it's an amazing thing. We're trying to, you motivate me. We're trying to get everybody at CU Insight through as well. So it's. Uh, <laughs> oh, good. I can tell you too, when my team comes back, they also have this unique connection with people outside of Montana that they keep up with. One of our recent graduates has a, a text group, for example, that she and her group, they send texts 
to each other. I'm not sure if it's on a daily basis, but it's very frequent. And that's really, really cool because it gives them another opportunity for for problem solving, for for idea generation, and all, all the kinds of things that really can help make your work experience exciting. Absolutely. And growing that network, like I said, I we were both recently at GAC, and I always think it's funny you see somebody from your class, and it's almost like you drop everything in beeline to go yeah. see them. So there's that connection, right? So it, it never stops. And then, then there's two or three of you standing around talking and laughing and that shared experience. So in a previous episode, Jill mentioned that when, when she was on the podcast, the advice you gave her when she was fresh out of college. <laughs> so that idea that, uh, do it anyways and let the chips fall where they may. Um, I'm a believer in change. I believe it's constant. I actually love it. But from talking to Jill, I got that impression that you're a big fan of change as well. Like, why is mixing things up important to you? <laughs> well, <laughs> um, on a personal note, I think it's how it, what, what keeps us young and vibrant and interesting, for sure. On a professional note, I suppose that's the same thing. It keeps us vibrant and interesting and always looking for new and better ways to do things. I have caught staff members describing our organization as fluid and dynamic. And I teased that particular person. And I said, I think that's your way of saying, hey, that chick likes to mix it up. And that's really, I think, how I see myself. I I do like to mix it up, not for change sake. There are plenty of things um, that that we do here because we need to do them because they have to get done. I like, you know, let's be honest. I don't change up how I do my bond renewal every year. I don't change up how bills get paid. It's not like, ooh, this month we're going to we're going to pay everybody late just to see what <laughs> happens. Um but for the things that we can look at and make in, even incremental changes to, we really try to. And I think that's the culture I hope that's the culture, but I believe it is that we built here. I know that um that my team is always looking for new fun innovative ways to to do things really to to surprise and engage our membership i love it my team's probably like yeah we get that this podcast <laughs> for example the day before the podcast it was supposed to be a video interview thing and that's what jim nussel thought he was agreeing to being the first guest and then i was like hey jim it's just a podcast and my team was like what? we have a podcast so <laughs> it has worked i love it so we're having so much fun do you have any advice for someone there I, a lot of people out there change scares them is there advice that you have or if you have change resistant say team members is there some way that you help them handle change? Absolutely. In terms of helping people manage change, I like to help them understand that really there are, there are three different types of change. There's, you know, transitional change, there's developmental change, and then there's transformational change. And transitional change is really, you know, just like incremental stuff. You know, we, we go every year to the beach for the for vacation. Are we going to rent the same cabin that we rent? Or if we get a chance to get a cabin that's closer, are we going to take the cabin that's closer? And and kind of talk about what does that mean? Developmental change is, hey, rather than going to the beach, we get a chance to go to Disneyland. Would we consider Disneyland over? And then, you know, transformational changes. Guess what? We're going on the Magical Mystery Tour. We don't even know we're going, but we're going on vacation. You could be going to dig ditches in Antarctica. You could be going to lay on the beach in Rio, you know? So it really is about sort of understanding that not every change is massive. There are some just sort of little incremental changes. And I think as people get more comfortable with the notion and the culture of change, it, it becomes less frightening. It's when we have, you know, those sacred cows that never get butchered. You know, we have that stuff that we never talk about, you know, and in the trade association world, oftentimes, or at least when I came here, that was uh, dues. And governance. We just don't talk about those things. We we just, you know, the due structure is set. We just don't talk about it. The governance structure is set. We just don't talk about it. And thankfully, my board over many years discussion and of changing understands and, and you know, it's part of our board culture to talk about those things, make sure that they're working and they're no longer sacred cows. It's just part of what we do for business. So I think, again, to maybe bringing down some of those really scary things 
talking about it and understanding that not every change is huge. Some changes are teeny. Yep, that's true. If we were doing a video, it, I'd love to see what your reaction would be to the phrase, that's what we've always done here. So here's here's what I can answer to that with regard to this organization. I am now the longest serving employee in this organization. So if anybody even tried that, I'd be like, huh? What? Really? I don't remember that. But you, you certainly hear, well, that's what we did last year. You know, or that's what we did with regard to this meeting or that meeting or or this, you know, this event or and at that point we can say, well, maybe it's time to delight our, our members and do something different. And the good thing is for us, so with regard to like events and that kind of thing, our members are pretty used to us mixing it up and I think they look forward to it. And so we have really, I think really open dialogue around the office about you know, that sort of, that's what we've always done. And okay, so if that's what we've always done, is that, does that mean it's because it's the best practice? Is that because it's the highest and best thing? Or is that because we're in a terrible rut, you know, or, or we're not very creative and we can't really figure out anything else. So, you know, it, it really is to me about continual conversation and making sure that we've got the best product coming out of this organization and that each individual is, is being used to their best and highest capacity. Absolutely. On a previous episode, Sam Paxson was talking about the co-op think conference and she was mentioning like her, the perfect moment when she looked up on stage and saw something. And I was like, so do you try to recreate that? And she was like, absolutely not. She's like, it's gotta be something new. So I I love the change agents, right? Uh, I want to move forward into kind of the leadership and life hacks portion of the, the episode. You just mentioned you're the longest serving employee at the league. What inspired you to take the gig as president and CEO of the Montana Credit Union Network in 2001? Oh, boy. Um, Well, I was working for Utah's credit unions under the leadership of Scott Earl. I was senior vice president there over the advocacy role. And, you know, if you know credit union history, that's about the same time. I mean, I was there during HR 1151, and also the the beginning, really, of the terrible state banker battle attacks in Utah. And um, the opportunity to come to Montana sort of immediately following her, and some would say maybe in the middle of some of that banker battle, was for me, I felt like a chance to come to a state that had not yet seen some of that ugliness and to really Teflon coat. I mean, I, I actually used that term when I was interviewing. Somebody asked me, one of the board members asked if if they were hiring a little warlord. I mean, that was exactly <laughs> what, are you coming up to start banker battles? And I said, I would be happy if I never had to go into, you know, that, that sort of battle again. Now, if, if I do, I'm ready. Yep. Um, but what I'd really like to do is come and help Teflon coat Montana's credit union so that when those kinds of attacks come, you know, they just sort of roll off of, of you. And so that's really been my mission. That's been my goal. And that was one of the things that I think inspired me to come here to Montana. I have uh, more questions now. I want to <laughs> just to stick with that. I, I'd like to ask, how has that inspiration changed with time on the job? I'm not sure that that inspiration has necessarily changed. I still believe that very, very strongly that, that that's that's one of our major roles. And actually, my DE project was to start a development corporation that does just that, outreach and development through credit unions for economic improvement for low wealth and underserved Montanans. Um, and, and so, we created Montana Credit Unions for Community Development in about 2002. Two, I think 2003, maybe we, we did our incorporation. We're 501c3, and we have done everything from volunteer income tax assist, assistance to matched education, savings accounts, other matched accounts, matched IDAs, individual development accounts, some for survivors of domestic abuse. We've done some for folks who've been displaced, uh, in rural workers who were displaced. Everything has a financial education bent to it. So we do reality fairs. Uh, We also do retirement fairs. So we're very engaged with our credit unions helping to 
improve the economic and social well-being of Montanans. So that's that's a little bit of that. But then what are their inspiration? For me, the inspiration also to continue doing what I'm doing is the relationships. You know, I am definitely a relationship person. I love my credit unions. I love the CEOs. I love the employees. I love the volunteers. I am really blessed to tell you that I work with an amazing constituency and and that I can truly look you in the eye. And I promise you, I would not look to the left. Isn't that what they say? When you're going to lie, you're going to look to the left. left? I can. Yeah, right. I truly love every single one of them. And I feel engaged in their lives and their personal lives and their work lives. And I really want our organization to help their organization make a difference in the lives of their members but also in whatever we can do to help make their their lives easier. I mean, that's that's our role. That's our role is to be a support. Uh, we work for credit unions. We work. I work for every single person who is part of an official family of a credit union, and frankly, every credit union member in the state of Montana. I'd like to kind of take a step back there. It, it sounds like when you started the development program, you were fairly new at in Montana. Was that about a year after you started or so from a let's call it a new leader in the organization standpoint, how did you get that current board or that board at that time to buy in to your vision? I guess I can be fairly persuasive Um, (laughs) and I'm also extremely energetic. But, you know, that said, I did research. So definitely research based. We knew that there was a need. We knew that people were hurting in Montana. We'd done a survey. We knew what people thought about credit unions, knew about credit unions, but we also had a good sense of what they didn't know. And one of the things that that we did on purpose is that we branded the organization Montana's Credit Unions for Community Development so that when we use that term in the marketplace, that it was all-encompassing. So even if I had a credit union in a particular market that wasn't involved, if we had a program that was coming to them, from Montana's Credit Unions for Community Development. How could you argue with that? So it's it's always been, for me, about raising the impact of credit unions, raising the awareness for, of credit unions. And then again, going back to, it's twofold. There's the Teflon coating that I talked about. Yep. So we create all of these great stories. And credit unions, by the way, were doing a lot of this. So we were able to capture it also. So we were able to have now a vehicle to capture and to help and to support the great work that they were doing. I don't want to say that Montana's credit unions weren't doing any of this sort of thing. They were. We just created an opportunity to aggregate resources and sort of a conduit. So, you know, we've got the Teflon coding, but then frankly, we've got the social mission work that is so near and dear to my heart. So it, it has always had a two-pronged approach. It is the opportunity for credit units to get into their communities, really make a difference in the lives of members, and generate stories that I can go and advocate on their behalf for. So there was, like I said, it was kind of always that two, two-pronged approach. But And my board, they, they understood it, and they, and they liked it, and they still like it and 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 support it and understand it and i think i think it's reasonable to say that every one of our credit unions is engaged at some level at some point with we we internally call it mcucd but with montana's credit news for community development so we have we have broad support and still a lot of excitement and engagement and mcucd is evolving so we have sunsetted programs that either we can't do as well as other organizations can, or if we find that we try them and, and maybe they aren't the right fit for our credit unions, we'll we'll try something new. And so, you know, we're, we're always evolving the organization. Something you just said there at the end of that is, I think, a, maybe an important follow-up question here for young leaders. How do you, do you have a way of deciding what to, where you're like, that's just not in our wheelhouse. We need to stop doing that or let somebody else do it. It's a tough thing to walk away from a project you start sometimes. Any tips there for a young leader? 
well, number one, it's really tough because you get into that uh, a little bit of that, what we just talked about. That's the way we all, we've always done it. Well, that was why we started this organization. How can we not do well? Good example is volunteer income tax assistance. We were heavily involved in the VITA program for years. We had staff that, that were engaged in the VITA program. And we took a good look at it. And we started to see that our number one, our credit unions were moving away from the program. It just didn't, it didn't uh, work for them for whatever reason. So, you know, in between tax seasons, we'd have conversations with them and find out. And, and we found out that it's just too labor intensive. They weren't getting the, the members or even non-members coming in. And then what we really found was that in our market, AARP was doing an awesome job. And so what we, what we did was that we took a, a couple of years to off-ramp. And we then started to work uh, directly with AARP and sort of transition our program to them. There's no reason for us to expend our resources. And they're really not our resources. And honestly, I could say they're the credit union's resources entrusted to us. But at the end of the day, Randy, they're members' resources. So we're very, you know, I'm very cognizant of the fact if we can't do it best, well, let's find someone and partner with them who can do it best. And then what that does is it frees us up to try other things. So we're heavily invested in matched education savings accounts right now. Like I said earlier, individual development accounts where we have folks that might not be able to attend college, juniors, seniors, and really some non-traditional students. And the whole point is that they agree to regular savings and then they get a match at the end to go to college. We do not provide the match. We work with federal agencies and we also work with every state institution and even the private institutions with their foundations to create those matches. What credit unions offer in this program is they hold the accounts, we have the software, and so we do the back office processing so that when a member receives their account, it shows how much they've deposited, what match they've earned. And so that's what MCUCD does. And then MCUCD also provides the educational resources to the credit union. So the credit unions provide financial education. And obviously, the thought is to help people get into a savings habit and then also to help them attain an asset. You know, we're, we're about asset building. So... There you go. That is uh, an awesome program, it sounds like you guys have there. That's very cool. Have you, over your time in credit unions, is there is there a big change that you've noticed, whether in Montana or across the board? Wow. <laughs> um, you know, in 34 years, I would be lying to tell you that there, oh, no, no changes at all. <laughs> everything's, you know, everything's the same. And there have been lots and lots and lots of changes. I, I believe that credit unions are far more engaged in advocacy and politically active than they were when I started. Although my first credit union in uh, Tacoma, Washington, the CEO was the chair of the league board. I didn't even know what that meant, except that I was asked to write a letter, don't tax my credit union. So I probably wrote my first don't tax my credit union letter in about 1985. And so, you know, some of those battles are have been going on for a lot of years. I would say that HR 1151 in 1998 really did wake up credit unions to the need for political advocacy. And so I think that's that's been a massive change. I think we see more competition between credit unions than we used to. That's a change. I don't think I have to, you know, editorialize on that. I don't know if it's good or bad. It's a change. I believe that we are seeing a lot of collaboration on some big ticket items that maybe it's maybe it's not change, but maybe it's like a boomerang. I believe that that we we collaborated, you know, and, and I wasn't around, although my child would like you to believe that I was in the 30s, but I wasn't. But I think, you know, we were built on that collaboration. We were built on working together. And as we started to grow up, we sort of moved away from some of that. And I think now, you know, blockchain is a perfect example of, of, of credit unions and system providers working together. I believe that 
at the state level, um, at the league level, even at the national level, that we're, we're seeing a lot of great collaboration and cooperation for solving individual problems. I, I mentioned Open Your Eyes. That's a, a fabulous example of a problem, if you will, that we've been trying to solve for some time. And it looks like we are at a point uh, farther along than we've ever been to actually start raising awareness on a national level yeah. about, you know, the, the credit union ideals. Is there a belief held by credit unions currently that you think will have to significantly change in the foreseeable future? Oh, wow. I think one of the things that I hear is that only large credit unions can survive. We hear that a lot. You know, we hear that, we hear that, and not just from CEOs of large credit unions. I hear, I hear that from vendors. I hear that from partners. I hear that, I just hear it everywhere. And I really do not believe that that is, I don't believe that's accurate. I believe that credit unions that will, and it isn't just about surviving for me, it's about thriving. I believe that credit unions with engaged and innovative leadership doesn't matter what size they are. If they're serving their members and they're constantly innovating, I believe that they will survive and thrive. And I think that's something that divides us in our movement. I think the size conversation, that's, as I mentioned earlier about DE, how we walk into that room and we're all equals. And I think it would be fascinating to throw, well, throw is bad, sorry, to get a group of CEOs that don't know each other, credit union executives from all across the country, different sized credit unions that share a common trait in innovation. And I bet, I bet you'd be surprised. I bet that they wouldn't be able to say, oh, she runs a small shop or he runs a small shop or, oh, she's got to be running the, a big one. I think it is about that thirst for innovation, change, and serving members that will continue to propel the credit union system and credit union movement, regardless of the size of, of the institution. I hope you're right. <laughs> and I love the Me idea, too. quite honestly. <laughs> to talk about leadership a little bit, how would you describe your leadership style and how would your team describe it? Well, um, I would tell you that to a fault, I'm hands off. Now, I also would tell you that I'm, I'm approachable. Um, and my door is, well, it's not open right now. So that would be a lie. If I said to you, my door is always open, but it's not. But you know, for the most part, my, my door is open. I'm extremely responsive to my team. Um, I think they would tell you that I always want what is best for them. So if that means looking for a different job, if that means that we we can't, I, I want to know about it so I can help them. So that's how I, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm describing a style or if I'm just sort of linking together a bunch of traits or maybe even anecdotes. My staff would also tell you, you know, I have a, a saying that, that I think they could repeat. And that is, if it takes two of us to make a decision, we might be overstaffed. And I don't mean that in that we don't want to collaborate that because that's not the case. We have staff meetings frequently. And by the way, they hold staff meetings even when I'm not there and I don't lead them. We rotate around the staff. We take different months to lead them. I'm an equal when I walk in that door. And in fact, this month was my month to take notes and send them out to everyone. But I really believe that, you know, folks are hired to do their job. And if we have given them the tools, the resource, and also the notion and the support that they're, what was Stuart Smalley saying? You know, I'm, I'm smart, I'm, I'm beautiful, and <laughs> darn it, people like me. Um, but, you know, if people, we've helped them with their heart as well and helped them to feel loved and engaged and supported and, you know, then let them do their, their job. That means that when people do come in and they do have a, a question for me, I am not making a decision about whether we're going to have chicken or beef at a meeting, right? I'm helping someone through a, a pretty tough conversation, a strategic conversation and not an operational conversation. And a small organization like ours, we have nine staff total. Every person does a different job. They all have to be the masters of their own universe. And I'm really blessed that I have 
the most talented staff and and they are they really they can do their thing and then come together and have really interesting and engaging conversations ask each other for assistance and um, and you know new ways to think about but in terms of doing their work they they just they just get her done so was that learned uh with experience or were you always that way oh maybe experience i think young tracy i'd like to tell you i'm young now but you know i think young (laughs) i think young tracy was far more controlling and hierarchical i think that i had a different thought about power in a sense that formal power was everything i have come to recognize that informal power is so, so much more excuse, you know, the, the term powerful. And, um, and that if you have informal leaders who are not going your direction, you're never going to go anywhere. So, you know, um, that, that notion of getting everyone on the bus and getting them on the right seats, if you're only driving the bus because somebody handed you the key, you got problems. If you are driving the bus because every single person sitting on that bus believes you're the right person to drive the bus, then that's, you know, that's real leadership. So I think I have evolved and really come to understand that a servant's heart is, oh, I don't want to get emotional, um, is more important than, you know, dictator sort of. And, you know, I do tease and I do like to, to tell them, hey, this is not a democracy. I just like you to believe it is. I just want to be a benevolent dictator. Um, I do understand at the end of the day, the buck does stop here. And that I am the one, regardless of where the decision was made, because I, to use that 90s term, empowered by folks, if the decision was bad, I own that. I, it's, I'm the one that's going to stand in front of a membership or the board and say, I made a bad decision. Here's what happened. Here's how here's how we're going to rectify it. But I'm not sure that I always would have been that person. So I think that I have learned and continue to learn, I hope. Has there been a piece of advice that you've carried with you over your career that you keep coming back to? Wow. A piece of advice. I'm sure there have been many pieces of advice. I just found a card that Scott Earl wrote to me when I left Utah and and came here. And one of the things that he wrote to me was essentially be yourself, be your true, authentic self. I don't know that he used those exact words, but that to me is what I what I have been seeking as a leader. And what I find, Randy, is that the, the closer I become to my true authentic self, the more successful that I am, the happier I am, the easier I am to be around. And so that that probably is the, the best advice. Super simple in terms of the, the words, really hard to adhere to. We want to play roles. We want to, we want to look strong. You know, I always want to look smarter than I am. I always want to be more articulate than I am. I always think, oh, if I was only Gigi Highland, where the words could flow off my tongue and, you know, I will have arrived, you know, if I could be a Jill Tomlin and self-assured and standing in front of a a group and really just having the ability to uh, command that panel like she did last week at the GAC, you know, I would have arrived. And at the end of the day, Randy, I'm Tracy Kenyon. This is who I am. And this is this is what I I can try to emulate. I can try to take things from uh, leaders that that I have seen and work them in. But if they are not, if that is not authentic to me, it just comes off looking weird. Um, Agree. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I just try to be I try to be me, and that's it. That's all we can be. I think it's a beautiful thing to learn when we get to that point or if we struggle with that. So I am, you are speaking my language. When you run into a wall, come up against a problem, you just are having a hard time busting through. Do you have any hacks to help you get to the other side? Is there something you do to take a fresh look at it? Well, one of the things that I do is I I try to take 
I try to take a little time off. And that's hard for me because I tend to be a person who wants to just sort of plow through. I'm, I just want to start to finish, get her done. So when I come up against something like that, I, I step back. I have a few people in my life who think about things very differently than I do. And I have a few people in my life who are not involved in the credit union space. And sometimes I will run those kinds of, when I'm at that point, I will run those things by them. And it's always interesting to get a completely different perspective. And then I'm also blessed that my husband is a credit union CEO. So clearly not outside of the space, but he and I are extraordinarily different in our problem solving. And so I will say to him, what do you think about this? And Eddie has amazing instincts. And so he will say things to me that I'm most of the time I'm like, huh? I didn't even think about that. And so I will use him as a sounding board and I will use others. You know, I mean, that's really at the end of the day. Now to my credit union constituents, if they're listening, I don't run things that I shouldn't (laughs) run by Eddie. I just want to make sure that people know that we have to keep a, there's always this distance between us. But I I think what I do is I will ask folks for, for help, take some time and then ask folks for help. So last night, Jill jokingly said to me that, but since you brought up Eddie, that I should ask you who has the better credit union love story. So (laughs) (laughs) you, you and her or me or Eddie and me or Or, Tracy or Eddie. I mean, which one? (laughs) Yeah. uh, What was that? Oh, she also said uh, Gigi and her husband. It could be in that mix too. (laughs) They they definitely, yep. They definitely are. She's probably going to be like, I can't believe you asked her that. No. Uh, (laughs) So I I think you just, I I mean, uh, when you were talking about, like how you take a different look at problems and reaching out to people. If you have a free day, it kind of goes into that same type of thing. Is there something you have nothing on your calendar? I know that doesn't happen often. What outside passions do you have? What do you do to recharge? What do I do? I love to spend time with my family. I love to spend time with my my husband and my daughter. I also really enjoy spending time with my siblings and they live out of state. So when I can get away and be with my siblings and um, my mom, you know, that's Eddie will tell you that's the only time that I truly shut it off. (laughs) Like I truly do not look at my devices when I am with them. And so uh, spending time, I feel like I go about 90 miles an hour. Well, Eddie would tell you there, I have two speeds on and off. So I'm going all, all the time. So honestly, when I have downtime, I might be cuddled up, uh, you know, reading a book um, next to a fire. My downtime is probably a little boring. We, we, have a, <laughs> we have a place in Arizona and we'd like to go down there. I take walks. I cook. I just really am. I'm, I'm pretty low key. Now, I would also be lying to tell you that I don't love to shop. So, you know, I mean, there, there is that. There's Shopping that is for me a great release because it's, you know, I'm, I'm bombarded by new things and I get to, I get to touch things and I get to <laughs> look at things. I get to think about, huh, would I, would I like this? Would I not like that? But, you know, my downtime is really that. It's pretty low key. I understand. Uh, Part three. This is this to me is always the fun part. All right. So the rapid fire questions. The questions are rapid. Your answers do not have to be. So uh, do you remember the first time you were got into memorable trouble? Oh, (laughs) um, you mean that wasn't with my parents? I I remember the first time I got into memorable trouble at work. I had talked my first credit union into converting I was a real estate loan manager at that time, and I had talked them into converting all of our real estate loans, about 30 million portfolio in the in the late 80s. It was quite a bit from an online, it was on our core product, to an offline product and sort of reworking them so they were all saleable on the secondary market. And I didn't balance. There you go. I didn't balance. I mean, I mean, that's at the end of the day, I didn't balance. So I'm moving $30 million worth of loans. And I believe we had to do it by hand. I mean, if I think back, and I remember sitting and having to tell the CEO that 
I didn't balance that here. I talked him into this and I didn't balance. And it was horrible. (laughs) I really remember thinking you're going to get fired. Um, You know, this is it. You're done. (laughs) And he was super gracious, gave me some ideas on, on how to go back and figure it out, what, what I should do. And after many days, I'm not even going to tell you, it was just hours. I mean, it was days of, of working and finding it. We, we eventually did, did balance. But I remember feeling, I mean, I, I remember the, the, just that, that feeling of knowing that it was all me. I mean, I did that. Yeah. I, well, I couldn't blame anyone else. And so thankfully, my parents really always taught me and my siblings to, uh, to take responsibility. And so I did. And I fully expected them to to show me the door. But my my guess is, in retrospect, they probably figured, oh, we can't show her the door because nobody else knows how to how to finish this project. Maybe they were going to let me finish and then show me the door. Um, what but they she did. did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you have any routines that if you don't do, your day just feels off? <laughs> so. Brush my teeth, number one. So I, I, that is the first thing I do, even before coffee. Is that gross? And then I know some people would say that's gross. but uh, And then I check my email and then I look at the news. So I check email, I check the news, and that is before anything else. And then, you know, I have my typical morning routine that everyone <laughs> everyone has their own sort of thing. Yep. And included in that is I must make my bed. If, I, if the bed doesn't get made, my day is going to be off. So that, there you go. That is a uh, something that I always used to do and then got away from and have just started doing again the past few weeks. Ah. There's, I heard a podcast once and it was, I think it was a retired general or something of that nature, but he talked about the importance of making your bed because you feel like you have a win first thing every morning. It, it was like, that, <laughs> like you've got one thing done. It starts your day off right. I was like, that's kind of interesting. Love that. So yep. uh, the random question, what's the best album of all time? The one Tracy can listen to front to back. The best album of all times is Laurie Anderson's Strange Angels. Are you familiar with Laurie Anderson? I am not. Uh, Most people will not be. She is a performance artist and she's still performing, um, but a lot of her good stuff, Strange Angels, is from the late 80s. My playlist has songs from, you know, 70s, 80s, 90s, early on, and, you know, this decade. But if I was going to take one album. The one. The one and listen over and over and over front to back or whatever, I guess it's not front to back, but start to finish (laughs) because artists uh, in my mind with an album, you know, they have, they have a specific thing in mind that they did. That's, that's the genre, if you will, that they're exploring at the time. So that would be the album that um, we will link to that. You may open a bunch of people's eyes to that. I know they may (laughs) think what a weirdo. I've always been more interested in things that are interesting than beautiful. And so she's very interesting and her lyrics, little stream of consciousness and, and it's cool. I can't cool wait stuff. to listen. And, and, and All right. I am completely clueless on this one. So <laughs> uh, another one of these scratch my own itch type questions. I'm a reader. We have a stack of books. Is there a book that you have either recommended or bought for other people over time? Um, you know what, Randy, right on my desk is uh, the tipping point. I'm going to give it to a staff member today. Last week at the GAC, we got to see Malcolm Gladwell. It's yep. the second time I've had an opportunity to hear him live. I have a little bit of a celebrity crush. I'm not really, I, I don't, I, I'm, I'm not one of those people. I've, I guess I have two celebrity crushes. One is Bobby Flay, the chef, and the other one is, um, <laughs> Malcolm, is Malcolm Gladwell. Gladwell. And and so, I, um, I yeah, he's, um, he's that guy. So I'm handing that off to a staffer today. Oh, that's so. a fantastic book. We will link to it for sure. Woo-hoo. You didn't have All a right. pile. Yay. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, it's one of my favorites. We actually have talked about that with a ton of people, especially knowing that when he was going to be at GAC this year, I'm like, have you guys read this? That's yeah, awesome. As you've gotten older, is, is there something that's become more important to you? And has anything become less important? You know, even though I just talked about shopping, I would tell you stuff has become a lot less important. Things that have become much more important to me are sustainable relationships. So my relationship with my husband is extraordinarily important to me. My relationship with my daughter is paramount. My relationship with my siblings and friends and my relationship with 
um, my, my, my colleagues here at the office and also my credit union constituents. That has become far more important to me than stuff, stuff. if you will. Yeah. <laughs> I get yeah. it. There's a question I don't send. And who is the first person you think of when you hear the word success? Oh, my mom. Uh, and and my mom not because oh I don't know now that I now that I say that I might I might start getting emotional. Oh. Just to let you know. It, it that be, is the okay. favorite answer of the podcast. Yeah, okay, all and right, good. Mom gets right. the most answers on that. So, <laughs> why your mom? Um, so my <laughs> mom is I'm I'm blessed she's still alive. She just had her 81st birthday. My mom went to college right out of high school and then met my dad and got married. She'd done two years of school and um, had four girls and went back to college. Actually, in her early 40s, she wanted to learn how to fly planes. So she she became a pilot and she really wanted to fly helicopters. And that that just didn't happen. But that was that was her goal. I remember as a child, my mom always going to college, even if she was taking a solar energy class, she was taking a class. She's a lifelong learner. And at age 48, she went back to college. And she graduated and she taught school. So it was, you oh, know, it's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Um, I love it. But she's a, she's a really, really interesting person. One other story about, about my mom that I, I think I can tell without getting emotional. So I took her to the GAC probably, probably 12 years ago, maybe 13 years ago. And she came with us to our, uh, to our, on our Hill visits. And she was just going to sit in the lobby of our congressman's office. And the congressman said, no, 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 come in, come in, mom. You know, he was, he was being a little condescending, but it was, you know, but it's come in, mom. And, you know, you, you can sit in my chair. So he stood in front of his desk and, you know, sort of held court and we did our thing. And then he turned to my mom and he said, well, mom, do you have anything to add? And without missing a beat, my mom said, she sort of leans forward and she says, well, all of this conversation reminds me of when I was on the HUD housing board and she goes off and I was like, I'd totally forgotten that my mom was on the HUD housing board when I was a kid. So my mom was always, you know, politically engaged, politically active, engaged in her community. And even for the things that I didn't see, she was just always trying to make a difference. And, you know, she's still doing it. She still drives for Meals on Wheels. She's 81 years old. Um, she, yeah, she told me once, she said, I never needed a housekeeper until I retired. I'm so busy. So, you know, she just is, uh, she's still going, still active in her church and her community. And, um, you know, she's an inspiration. I can see why. That's a fantastic story there. Again, thank you so much for being on the show. I think that's always the perfect way to wrap up. The last question I have for you, do you have any asks of our audience or final thoughts? Well, I would be remiss if I didn't say, you know, go to DE. If you haven't been through DE, it's a wonderful opportunity for you to um, really get a, a strong sense of credit unions and then also love and support the system. Credit unions are such a unique service provider and um, we have so, so much good to do. So that's my ask. Just love each other and um and be good we will link to de and everything else we talked about in the show notes and i know from uh talking to chad a few weeks ago most of the classes this year are filling up so they people should sign up now or do it next year thank you again so much tracy for being on the show i've enjoyed this i greatly appreciate it thank you thank you thank you randy it's been a, it's been my pleasure i appreciate it too thank you and we hope all of the listeners have an amazing day enjoy 